Branding Badass, and welcome to Season 2 of Branding Matters. My guest today is Farrell Morse, the founder and CEO of Farrell Robin Shoes, a global independent footwear brand committed to empowering women. Farrell's been a leader in the footwear industry for over 20 years, and her passion for empowering women with the best footwear is what fuels her purpose. She believes all women should have access to footwear that makes them feel confident and beautiful, regardless of age, identity, ethnicity, size, physical limitations, financial means, and fashion sensibility. I invited Farrell to be a guest on my show today to talk about her passionate mission. I wanted to learn how the Farrell Robin shoe brand came to be, and I was really curious to get her point of view on how COVID has impacted her business and what the future of footwear looks like. Farrell, thank you so much for being here today and welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. It's so nice to meet you. Where are you today? I'm in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw in your window behind what a beautiful yeah. view you had there. Nice, nice building. So you're, are you right in Manhattan? I'm in the Flatiron area of Manhattan, but um, I'm, an, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in New York City. So. Oh, very cool. Um, I love New York. My brother yeah, lives there actually. City. Oh, cool. So, it's yeah. a great city. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially in the summer. Okay, so I know you don't have a sister, but I also, because I do my research before I meet Mm -hmm. with my guests, (laughs) and I found out that you don't have a sister, but your BFF is like a sister to you. And she's someone that people know. So can we say who she is? And also, I'm curious to know if she wears your shoes. (laughs) So I'm very much a girl's girl. Like I'm a you know, my, like I very much have a girl gang. It's a diverse group. And I think who you're referring to is Deborah Messing, who is an extraordinary human, is one of the most talented actors I've ever seen. She's actually opening a play in New York City this week. um, And I got to see the, it in rehearsal, it's called Birthday Candles. And she literally is on stage for 90 minutes and takes my breath away. Um, Amazing. Yeah, she does wear Farrell Robin shoes, among others. Um, well, I assume she wore others. I was actually curious to know if she ever wore them on the set of Will and Grace, like just a little promotion for you. No, no, no? She, she never did. Every once in a while, like I'll send her a box and she'll post about it. And then she gets a lot of flack because she's so, she actually gets a lot of flack because it, really? she's, she's so, she's such a strong activist. She actually posted in a pair of sandals once and uh, somebody came back and said, I can't believe you're posting about your new shoes when, you know, there's chaos in the world. And her response was, I am supporting my friend who's a female founder and I love them, but I was, it's shocking just how vocal the world can be, especially for somebody who's just fighting for all the right things, I believe. You know, that is so shocking because I'm one of those people, I love, you know, never mind just supporting people, but especially friends, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love to connect people. I'm a connector. So I, if I know someone does something and someone needs something, I love bringing them together. And I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing, you know, if there's something, if I had a friend and, you know, that's the reason I ask is because when I have friends that have a business or they have something and they want to promote it, I'm like, here, give it to me, send it to me. I'll promote it all over because I love doing that because it's a great way to help people. So I'm kind of shocked and a little disappointed to hear that, actually. Yeah. You know, she 
is really wonderful. I am the New York chair of the women in the footwear industry. So I'm a big supporter of the women within the footwear industry because there there are very few, especially in the C-suite. And it's really important that we support each other. And I think historically speaking, just the patriarchy of the world, and I don't say this as as a male bashing statement because I think men have the same patriarchal boundaries that they have to struggle with. But we historically have fought each other for a seat at the table. And it's time for us to rewrite that narrative that we will not move forward as quickly as we should and deserve to if we are not a supportive community. And that's part of the the goal of this organization. And I was asked to speak once and I asked Deborah to actually speak with me to talk about sort of this sisterhood of being too powerful successful women and how we manage it and how we managing being mothers and supporting each other. And it was really cool. So she, she is a huge advocate in all things beautiful in my mind. And in many respects, she, she gifted me that, you know, she taught me the power of, of one individual's voice and the effects that, that we can have on the world. Yeah. Community over competition. I find you're right. I think because women have always tried so hard to have their own voice that there was always that competitiveness amongst each other because it was so scarce, right? There was only so many positions available that that's the way we had to get it or so we thought. And now I think, you know, you lift each other up and try to be successful together. Um, Absolutely. You know, one of the most powerful books I've ever written was written by uh, A.B. Wambach who wrote the book Wolfpack. And it very much talks about how we have felt gratitude for our two seats, if there are two seats or one seat at the table. And really only as a collective community can we demand a larger table and the way dialogue happens at the table, which has historically been very male. And there's power in numbers to do that. And it's really important today more than ever to, to honor those in marginalized and or diverse communities that we haven't been historically cognizant of. Yeah. And I think that's a great segue into your brand, right? Feral Robin Shoes, because I think a lot of what you stand for is all about that equality and women. And, you know, even something as simple as I remember when I was researching about you and you had like women sizing, it starts at size or it goes up to size, what, 11 or 12 or 16. 16. I mean, you know, I'll just tell you. So my son does drag and he would always try to find shoes and he is he's got big feet anyway. I think he's a man's 11 or something. So he would try to get women's shoes. Good luck. Nothing. Right. right? He, you they, know, that is that is what inspired it. So, oh, OK. I had read I had read an article about the trans community and not necessarily drag, but the trans community. And it really is one of the most marginalized communities today that it has the highest suicide rate. It is the most difficult community to find work. I mean, we live in a country where you can't even say gay in Florida. Don't even get me started on that. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's absurd. And it's ridiculous. And when Zappos came to me and said, we really want to start a woman-run brand, and you've been in the industry for so long, and your work is is awesome, because really what I do is a lot of private development, and I've been around for, for quite a while. The conversation I had with them was, I want it to be inclusive in every way. I want 
to be size inclusive because I think all women should be honored. And that includes the women in the trans community. And they were incredibly supportive at a time where it wasn't really discussed. Like it, it was one of those provocative topics still. And I was like, this is, this is how it's going to work. It's going to be price inclusive and it's going to be size inclusive because I feel like it is my responsibility to honor all women. And I say this in my mission statement, regardless of size, financial means, physical limitations, it is our responsibility to make everyone feel like the prettiest girl in the prom because that is empowerment. I love that. I had no idea that that was impetus for you starting your brand. So it was the uh, impetus for us going up to the, to, for us, it was part of the deal and going in starting the brand. And it was the impetus for the size going up to size 16. Now I have to tell you, I am shocked at how many women consume Farrell Robin shoes because they just don't find inclusive sizing in the marketplace. But it really yeah. was started with this idea that it is our responsibility to honor all women, especially if it's a marginalized community yeah. that is overlooked. That's, oh, I love that. So I want to back up a little bit. I want to, because, you know, the shoe industry, I I mean, I don't know a woman who doesn't love shoes. So mm -hmm. it's such an amazing industry. So I just want to back up. So how did you get into the footwear industry to begin with? I needed spending money after school that, that was independent of asking my parents for money to buy things. And I got my first job in high school. I was a junior in high school. And I literally walked home from high school on 63rd Street to 81st Street, which is where I lived, and stopped in every restaurant, every retail store. And Kenneth Cole Retail Store happened to have been the first to call me back. Otherwise, I'd be baking ice cream today, possibly. But <laughs> But I remember, um, you know, within hours of being in that store, feeling like it was home to me. Like somehow I must have been a cobbler in my past oh. life. Like everything just felt good to me. And I was interested in both the design and I was interested in the business side of it. And I was interested in the sales. And I sent in a late application to FIT and I really have never left the industry. It's still... Is, is something I feel so passionately about. So you were there and you were selling shoes? Like, but that- Oh my God, I was oh. I was selling shoes for yeah. Kenneth Cole yeah. during like the Reagan time period for 9% commission. Like yeah. I had more money in my pocket. You know, I would work on weekends um, or certain days after school. And then it just, I just started to go in. I mean, I spent my senior cut day selling shoes and I loved it. Uh, it was just, it was great. And so then how did you go from that? I mean, did you work yourself up with, did you work your way up in that company with Kenneth Cole or did you go off and start your own? Like, how did you get into it? So I sent in a late application to FIT. Which is the Fashion Institute, right? The Fashion Institute of Technology in right. New York. Um, I started in their buying and marketing program and then, you know, continued they had just started their accessories design program. It was brand new. And I shifted into that so that I can learn pattern making and very specific aspects of the accessories world. And from there, I, and I had always worked, I, you know, like I never gave up my job because of the freedoms that it afforded me as a young adult. So I was working somebody at school actually one of the professors at school who's a very famous shoe industry man got me a job with a with the largest shoe company in the country at that point it was called US shoe and they sent me to Italy to learn 
pattern making in this program called Arsutori, which still exists and is still an amazing program for footwear. Wow. And in I Italy spent, especially, I bet. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> extraordinary. So I was really fortunate. I worked really hard and created opportunities for myself, but I also ended up in really good places at really good times. And that really was a turning point for me because it really differentiated me from other shoe designers in the States that really at that period in time, we knew how to make pretty pictures of shoes, but we weren't taught how to make shoes. So that hands-on experience was really important for me. Yeah, I bet. Like, you know, they say a lot of times founders, when they start or when they hire new people, they make them go through all the different jobs in the company. So they learn from the ground up. So there's no aspect of the job that they don't know, right? So that's the best way that they can run their business. It's interesting because I really have done everything in the shoe industry. So I went from Arsutoria and then I worked in design and I worked in PR and marketing and I was the worst customer service sales rep aerosols um, has ever had to this day. And then I was a buyer for the Aldo Group in Canada, which was pretty awesome. And the benefit of that, although while it's incredible that I could start a company by myself and really do just about everything required from start to finish. Yeah. But the real benefit was learning what I was passionate about, what were my weaknesses that I was going to have to hire for and around, what my strengths were, and what type of company I wanted to have. When we go back to the concept of, of branding and creating your mission statement, which I think all companies should have, and I think it should be bigger than themselves so that we're all fighting for a cause that is larger than ourselves. And at Farrell Robin, it is about empowerment, inclusive empowerment, and we really use shoes to do that. What inspired you to say, okay, I'm going to go off back in this industry that is, I'm assuming, extremely competitive. I'm going to start my own shoe brand. What inspired you to do that? And then you talk about your mission all the time. Like, how did that come into play when creating the Farrell Robin brand? Great questions. So I think I always knew I would have my own company one day. Yeah. Uh, when I went to FIT, I used to write all of my papers on Farrell Robin as the company. That, that would be the example I would use. And okay. um, and where does the name come from? My first name is Farrell and yeah. my middle name is Robin. Yeah, because when I was doing my research on you, I was like, wait a minute, that's not her last name. And then I was like, oh, okay. No, and, it's, <laughs> and it also gets more complicated because I you know, went through a pretty nasty divorce. Yeah. And I am like, wow, we need to discuss publicly how changing a name is so much more impactful than we ever realized because oh, yeah. now I'm caught between a married name and my historical name. And I've been known professionally for 20 years as one name. And I'm like, I'm at a loss. Yeah. I'll figure that out. You know what? When I, this is totally a tangent, but my name is very unique like yours. It's Julie. And mm -hmm. then when I, same thing, got married, changed my name, then got divorced. And same thing with you. I'm actually still going through it. A lot of the same challenges um, or whatever. Well. So I've just decided for now, I'm just going to be Julie. And that's how people right. know me. And I don't have to worry about any of that. Well, it's, it's really interesting because truth be told, I don't feel like my married name any longer. Yeah but I've been known professionally by my married name for 20 years and there will be an impact. It's a little formally known as, and, uh, and it's also, it's a bit of an identity crisis. You know, like it's that. like, what do I feel like? And there are days I actually respond with a different name. It's interesting, which, which, it. no, I'm fortunate that I use my middle name, I guess, because I started it before I got married. <laughs> well, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to go on that tangent, but I, that's okay. to what you were saying. So, um, so continue on. So then you, so you were, you always knew you were going to have your so own. So I always knew what I was going to do in 2001. 
prior, right prior to 9-11, it really felt like a really good time for me. So at that point in time, all women's shoes looked like they were made for corporate American women who had to look kind of like men in their dress. You know, you wore suits or you wore business suits or it wasn't about, you know, it was never supposed to, you, you didn't, you weren't feminine in, or independent. There was no, you know, it's not like today where half my office shows up in jeans or one day they came from a rave in the morning and they can wear whatever they want and <laughs> you celebrate that. Yeah. You know, it was like brown pumps were all over the marketplace or there was the junior market, let's say a Steve Madden that was really made for young teens. So if you went to school and you graduated, your only two options were the same shoes you had been wearing when you were 15 or corporate American men assumed women in the workforce needed to be wearing. And it was really an opportunistic time to bring creativity back into footwear. And going back to my education, I knew how to make shoes. So I knew that that design and price did not need to be mutually exclusive, that we could make a really cool product for the right price. And that was the goal sort of celebrate our independence for lack of a better way to put it. And that's, but, but it's not just about putting on a shoe that you can get from point A to C and you want to look good. There is something incredibly empowering about footwear. Very, and I say this all the time, very similar to what lingerie is. Like nobody sees it. Nobody, unless you, unless you choose to show them. It is something that you put on and makes you feel a certain way, whether it's powerful or sexy or put together well. And there's something about that feeling that makes you feel stronger. And it's the same with footwear. Like I, I think no matter what you're wearing, you can change your shoe and it and it has a totally different look, feeling. You know? I, you know what? I think shoes make the outfit. I'm not kidding. Like I'm uh, one of those... Yeah. I'm one of those people when I, I was at a party last week and, you know, in, in Canada, when there's snow on the ground, people are very mindful okay. of not wearing shoes in people's homes. Right. So I have my little shoe bag and I bring my shoes because the how can you wear an outfit and put, you know, effort, effort, effort and time from your everything and then not have the shoes. To me, they finished the outfit. So I, they, I hear what totally. you're saying. Absolutely. And your mood and your personality. Totally. So I, yeah. for years, have been wearing dresses with army boots and it's not for any other reason. And I'm like a grunge girl, like yeah. I could live and die by pro statement, you know, it's, and it's my personality. Yeah. And I think all women should honor their personality and totally. this dress that most people would wear with a heel and or evening shoe. I'm like, don't tell me how to wear it. Yeah. Army boot. Yeah. And that I think is what's changing in the fashion industry more than it ever has before. It is this mixing of the obvious to create a personal style that I don't think women felt secure enough to share in the past. You know, there was a vulnerability to not fitting in or looking like everybody else in the room that I think we are starting to shed. And I love that. Yeah, I love that too. No, absolutely. I mean, there used to be where they had to match. And now, you know, I, I always say like, you don't want to be matchy-matchy. Like that's what's going to make that stand out. I agree with you. It's the personality. But unless you want to be matchy-matchy, because then if you want to be matchy-matchy. But that's who you are. Feel free. Yeah. And and honestly, matchy-matchy on a 17-year-old makes a very different statement than matchy-matchy on a, on a 75-year-old. Because, you know, so 
you be you, like you do you. That's what this is about. But again, going back to like, I think historically speaking, women were, you know, we wanted to go pick up our kids and look like every other mother at Pitta, or we wanted to go into a meeting and look like everybody else and not stand out as creative beings. And I think that that thankfully has changed. It's a really cool time. Yeah, it must be. You talked about inclusivity and and empowerment, and those are really strong words. What other things is Feral Robin doing? And what are you, other things are you doing to make your brand differentiate it from all the? I don't. Do you even know how many other footwear brands are out there? I don't even know if I could count. There's a lot. Most of them are owned by a much smaller amount of of companies who yeah. have multiple brands. I think that we are about what feels right for us. And that's, that's probably a little bit different. You know, when I think about branding, I think about being true to doing the right thing by us and honoring that. So it's not that we're the cool girl brand. We just happen to be cool because we are cool. And we are not like the inclusive brand. We are inclusive. We wake up with the desire to make the world a better place. I, I certainly do. Um, and all of these things that historically I would walk into a CEO conference and talk to, you know, doing the right thing or, or uh, being transparent or treating the, the, our partners overseas and the workforce in a kinder way rather than policing them. I used to watch the men roll their eyes and it took me a really long time to not, um, be afraid of that. Yeah. And what's fascinating is I think our brand is about honor and respect and inclusivity and doing the right things for the right reasons and um, treating our partners that way and, and demanding that they treat us that way. Um, we're not interested in having transactional relationships either with the retailers that we work with and or the producers that we produce with, our factory base. And that's our brand. Uh, again, most 95% of what we do doesn't have the name Feral Robin on it. So our reputation is... That's what a brand is. That it, It's your reputation, yeah. right? And our reputation within the shoe industry is, you know, I laugh all the time because I, I, I have seen my partners do extraordinary things for us and we will do the same in return. And when I watch companies that are more bottom line oriented, come in to shake up that relationship a little bit or threaten that relationship, I have seen these partners say, no, 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 we've been doing this a long time together and no, thank you. Or not go after the shiny object. And, yeah. and we've done the same to try to be supportive. And that is our brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm listening to you say all that and you, you start off by saying, you know, we do what we do. We don't do what everybody else does. But I think what I hear, and, and it's obvious in your mission, is you don't dictate to the consumer to buy this product because it's cool. You hear what is missing out in the marketplace that the consumer needs, for example, size 16 shoes. And you're like, okay, I hear you and I'm here for you. And I'm going to give you what you've been asking for that no one else is offering. That's what I, that's where it Not I, only are we going to give it to you, but we're going to advocate for you. Yes, exactly. With the retailers yeah. in mind. And it's hard work. It's a fine combination between doing extensive research and, and analytical data and trend forecasting. And like I said, I just got off a plane in Europe to see what's happening there versus 
here. So why do you do that? Why do you have a private label portion of your business as well as um, developing your own brand? Like what, like, why wouldn't you just go out and um, promote the Farrell Robin brand? And then how do you juggle both? You know, it's, it's such a great question. So I started as a private development company or a trading company when I first started because I didn't have the money to start a brand. It is really costly. Um, the business math is entirely different. So the way we work is we design for other retailers. They purchase it. They take ownership when the shoes leave the port in whatever country of production we're working in. And the, the financial risk is mitigated to the payment terms. When you have your own brand, you are paying designers to design for a specific brand you are then producing for this brand. You then have to sell the brand. So you need a sales force and you need to attend trade shows and put people on the road to sell your brand. Yeah. Um, promote, promote, you have promote. To <laughs> promote, right. Or, to yeah. give, you know, you want to give visibility. Yeah. You then have to, you sell it. And all of these costs go on top of your shoe. And then you have to pay for your goods 120 days before you ever get paid. And I couldn't afford to do that. I just couldn't. So the idea was I will work as a private development company. And when I'm ready, I'll fund the brand. And it wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. Uh, it's something we fell into because we used to show at these trade shows and so many retailers came up to us and said, we want to buy this, that we ultimately became a brand. And we were for a couple of years and we did very well, but I don't at the time. So think, you know, eight years ago now, nine years ago now, I didn't have faith in the brick and mortar system. So we were in Nordstrom's and we were in Bloomingdale's and we were in Independence. And I would walk into a Nordstrom on a Saturday and then I would work in Bloomingdale's the next Saturday in an entirely different state. And they were almost interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And I would go on the floor and you would see the same sort of shoe of the season, whatever it would be, by five different brands. So if you asked for the Madden version of it and they didn't have it, they would bring you out the Jessica Simpson version or the somebody else's version. And it was so the was exact your name on the shoe. Sorry. So would your so would people go into let's say a Nordstrom and they would bring out a Farrell Robin shoe by Nordstrom? At one point when we did launch that brand, it was Farrell Robin. Okay. We did launch the brand and sell it to retailers. And I didn't like the math. And I didn't like the, you know, when you work with major department stores or many stores, the math is marketing margins. Okay, so then where are you today? So now are you just working with private labels and you're not, you don't have your own brand out we there? Or? So because of Zappos, we yeah. reintroduced the Feral Robin label, Feral by Feral Robin. Yeah. That's the only retailer that we're working with today. Because it is this partnership, and I want to really give credit to Zappos as a retailer because they're cool and their missions is very similar to ours and sort of doing the right thing. And well, they have a great story them. too. You know, I, yeah. I like to talk about a brand and, you know, what they've accomplished and how they go about everything. It's pretty remarkable. There's There are a couple of really great stories about Zappos, but um, one of the things that they did that blew my mind was somebody would work for six months. And then they would go in then and offer them 5000 7000 to leave. And their theory on that was, if you're not happy in a way that that $7,000 or that 5000 whatever that number was, is more enticing to you, we'd rather get you out sooner 
then later. And it sort of was a cleanse for the culture. So anybody that was didn't really fit in was like, hey, thanks for the money. See you later. And those who were like, this is more than money for me. This is like my way yeah. of life would remain. You know, they were the first company I knew that that their interview questions was, how lucky are you? Yeah. <laughs> and if your number well, was too low. Yeah. What you said, about, I think that's so true. I think culture is so important. And I think that's same thing for employees. Now we're living in a world where employees want more out of the culture that they're working for. Absolutely. And what I love about that story is he did it his way. Like if, if he had gone out, if he was a public company and said, I'm going to give my employees X amount of money to leave, there's no board of directors in the world oh, yeah. that would have said, are you crazy? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. there was that. And I, and I say that all the time about Farrell Robin, there's this huge advantage of being privately owned. And that is we don't live by a P&L. We can play an infinite game. We can have an infinite mindset. We could say our mission is to do this. And there are going to be quarters that in order to do the right thing affects the bottom line. And there are going to be quarters that are amazing. And if we stick by the goal of wanting to leave a legacy and we don't have a board of directors coming in and saying, absolutely not, it gives us a freedom to do the right thing, to make better product, to put more into our product. By taking on those added costs that get put into brands, we can give more for the same and less money. The, 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 different, the overhead, the inventory costs, the human resources of the sales force, it just goes into the shoe instead of going into to the, a place that doesn't benefit the consumer. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've had a, quite a few conversations with people and talked a lot about obviously how COVID has affected business and certain things that have accelerated technology being another one of them. And e-commerce is a great example of how I think the pandemic really accelerated shopping online, right? E-commerce has exploded since COVID. Right. And I think this is just the beginning of something, A, that was already going to happen anyway, and it just came at an accelerated rate because of COVID. But now moving forward, there's a lot of businesses and brands that are continuing with that model. And if they right. take in that money that they used to spend, like you had mentioned on other ways, and putting it back into not only the product, but into the consumer and making sure that, because there's more competition now than ever before. So you talk about how you're going to differentiate yourself and really make that connection with the consumer and your brand, make it even even stronger. Right. COVID made us a better company. Like we are a much better company today than we were before. I agree that people's focus on digital increased, but I think more importantly, our creativity returned. Like I I remember thinking, you know, we don't want to come back doing things the same way we did. We want to be even better. And we, again, because we're a non-inventory business, Uh, And because we could work really closely and try to protect our retailers and do it the right way. You know, we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't furlough anybody. We committed to our team and we didn't want a team that was afraid of job loss at this really stressful time to begin with. And we made that commitment and we invested in technology because we want to be a more sustainable company because we do want to mitigate risk, because we want to be a smarter company, because we want to be a leaner company, you know, that drive to be the best that we can be. So I think COVID was enlightening for many different reasons and empowering for many different reasons. And I think if it has done anything for us as a society, I think we are cognizant and aware of things that we weren't 
in the past. I love that. Well, I really love talking to you, you know, with everything that you've learned and experienced and all your success, what would be, let's say your three top tips or advice that you would give someone who is looking at starting a business and creating a brand? Love what you do because it is going to be much harder. There are going to be days that you do not want to wake up in the morning because it is hard. Like it gets hard no matter how much you love it. So if you're not fully committed and you are not passionate about this, again, you won't have the stamina. So love what you do because life is hard. Life throws curveballs at us. Things get complicated and that love will get you sort of, that passion will get you to the next level. Don't compete with anybody but yourself. If you spend a tremendous amount of time perceiving the other businesses in your field, as competitors with, you know, versus let's say healthy inspiration, then you get, you know, you'll have a much greater chance to succeed and be creative. Like be, there is no one way to do things and get scrappy. You will be called on to get scrappy and dirty and get stuck in the weeds. And there are going to be days that are hard and just figure out how to make things done. And, and I would actually say that I wouldn't and this is actually really important, and I don't know why I didn't start with this. I wouldn't be successful today if some amazing people didn't believe in me. And more importantly, the people that I work with weren't extraordinary and weren't really, I trust them. You know, we trust each other with our lives because frankly, whether our kids go to school or not is dependent upon the success of the organization. And, and I believe in them. And you're not always going to get everything right, but, but surround yourself with people that you trust and are good at what they do. And that can change. You know, you get to change that at different points in time. But I think the most important thing is have a mission that's bigger than you. Don't start your business to make X amount of money by a certain year, because I think all really true, honest businesses come from a desire to do something greater than one person in it. Than making money. They have a purpose beyond just the bottom. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because, you know. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's all really great advice. I love that. But I want to go back to the competition thing that you said. That stuck out to me. And I'll tell you why. Because what I've said to people is know who your top three competitors are and find out what they do and then find the loophole. And for me, for your brand, I think that was amongst inclusivity and everything else was that those sizing and how you want the shoe to fit all women. Wouldn't you say, though, that that is sort of your competitive edge that all the other brands don't do? Or maybe they do now, but when you started to do that, is that important when you're trying to differentiate yourself? I mean, you're not competing directly with them, but you kind of are, in a sense, for the for your audience, right, and for their attention. What do you think about that? I look at brands or individuals that I compete with as worthy adversaries. We don't do, th- again, my company is built on this sort of integrity and desire to empower the world, which actually is what differentiates us more than anything else. Because within five minutes, any one of my competitors can go out there and create an extended shoe line. What differentiates us is the heart and the motivation that we're doing it with. You know, we're not doing it 
for the $5. We're doing it because we believe in it. And we can be very financially successful doing that. I want to empower somebody who's working in a restaurant and serving other people so that she could feed her children at home and, you know, makes just enough money to get by. You know, nothing actually makes me more happy than knowing that her shoes aren't going to leave blisters on the back of her feet that she can afford both to feed her children and look good and Mm -hmm. feel good when she wakes up every day. And that makes me as happy as anything that we can put, you know, like we love doing shoes for kids with disabilities that can't bend over and put their feet in. And it's not necessarily easy money because it costs more or putting more, more value into the shoes costs more extended sizes costs us much more because the amortization is different, but it's important work. And that is what differentiates us. And when I look at what other people are doing and they're doing well, I'm like, oh, you know, oh man, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Or, wow, I wish I had done that. But it inspires me. It's not like, shit, he won and I lost. Oh yeah. like, wow, I wish I was that smart and wish I had thought of that. But it's, we're not the same. We do things differently. You know, but isn't that healthy competition though? Like I, I, I don't mean it in a negative way in the sense. I that- think it is. They are at the, it is healthy sort of adversaries, but yeah. they're also people. When I look at my competition, they are all incredibly successful for all different reasons. And I can tell you that I wouldn't choose the way they go about being successful Many of the times it's when they do a product that I respect and admire. If they come up with a concept, that's really cool. But the workings of the business, I think, is uniquely ours and our and the and the reason we do things it goes back to that. Listen, I, I started a company in my living room in a studio apartment and was in pajamas three quarters of the day. It's blood, sweat, and tears. And I have made incredible sacrifices and I have cried. I've let, you know, I've done all of that. I mean, it was hard. It was really, really hard, but my success and my happiness, it doesn't, it, it is not dependent upon the, like the failures and or successes of my competition. It is really that I am so blessed to to be able to do things the way that we want to do it. And I know what my competition is doing. I know what they think. I know what they, the choices that they make. I mean, I am very aware of my surroundings, but I would much rather sort of step back and say, man, that was a good idea. I wish I had come up with it. What's next? Yeah. Because if I try to do it their way, then I am only just copy like the, I was we use the term in the office I'd rather be the fisherman than the fish for sure any every industry has competition I mean there's a trillion and one podcasts out there you know I work in the promo world I have the I'm friends with a lot of my I call them competitors but other people in my industry I look up to them we respect each other I've had some of them on my podcast I think that's what keeps the economy going is you have that friendly competition and I'm all for community over competition I, I I guess what I was when you had talked about competing with yourself I just thought that was an interesting thing because we are competing in a time and you know I call it especially online digital saturation where everybody's online and everybody's sharing and promoting their brand but I want to be the best that is the fire that burns within my belly and you're the best at what you do and I want to make the smartest shoes and I want to 
you know, be um, as sustainable as possible. And I want to be considered a really good business partner. Like those are really important to me. So that drives me. And that's what I mean by, by I compete with myself. Like I want to come up with that idea before one of, let's say my competitors. Yeah. But I am also in like, it fuels my fire. I'm very much like that too, in that respect, as far as my own personal uh, accomplishments. I, so in that respect, when it comes to accomplishments, I compete with myself. Like it doesn't matter how, how ratings are for anybody else or how anyone else's sales or whatever. It's, it's all about what I did yesterday. Can I do better tomorrow? So I get that point of view for sure. But if Um, I, if I competed with my competitors, then I never would have done things my way. I would have emulated the way they do things and just try to do it better. And that's not my way. Like we do what we do better than anybody else because it's our way. Well, I was just going to say, that's exactly, you know, I love that you said that. And we could probably end on that note as far as talking about branding and why branding matters, because that is exactly what it is. Is So when I said, you know, know who your top three competitors are, I just use this as an analogy or an example. Find out, follow, see what they're doing, see what they're doing with their brands, see what they're doing in social media, see their business. And then what they're not doing, like while they're zigging, you want to zag because that is where you're going to take the lead and be the best version of you. And and people are going to want to do business with you and fall in love with your brand because of you're not doing what everyone else over here is doing. You're doing what your mission is to do. That's what Without I was Without a doubt. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree with you. We do yeah. things differently. But I have to tell you, my competitors really inspire me. Yeah. They're smart. They're good at what they do. They do it differently. But, but they yeah. are. As they should. I think that's great. Yeah. Before we go, it made me think of something you said earlier about you don't wish any ill on any of your competitors. Um, I learned recently the difference between envy and jealousy. Do you know what it is? Mm -hmm. Tell me yours and I will. Well, I may not get it. Wishing and and jealousy has a malintent, correct? Well, verbatim, I didn't, sorry, I didn't hear everything that you said. You got cut out. Repeat that. That's okay. I said envy is desiring, sort of having a desire, and jealous is this sort of now it should be for me, or I wish it was. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, it's sort of the same analogy in the sense that envy is, you know, for example, you look at your daughter and, oh, I'm so envious she got to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, or I'm so envious of my son, you know, he's going to travel the world. And it's envy, but it's also like excited for them and happy for them and celebrating them, where jealousy is like a person like, you know, let's say Frel Robbins and, you know, she just did these great shoes and did super well. I wish she would die or, you know, that's jealousy. And and that's why they say when they talk about the seven sins and, you know, envy is one of them. It's actually really not. It's actually jealousy. But envy is not necessarily a bad thing because like you said, it kind of inspires you and you celebrate someone where you go, or if you see a friend who's in Greece and you're like, oh, they're in Greece. They're so lucky. I can't wait to go to Greece. It looks beautiful. So it just made yeah. me, I just want to say the time has flown by. It's, it's so, I feel like we could sit and go and have a coffee or a drink and talk about a lot of different. I topics. would love that. Where in Canada? You know? So I, well, I'm originally from Montreal, but I'm living in Calgary now at West. So have you ever been out here? I, you know, once like years ago when I was at the algebra, but it's, it's, 
Yeah, it's far. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. It's cold, but it's getting nicer now, but it is far. But I do come to New York because my, like I said to you, my brother lives there. So I try to get out there. So maybe we should make a point next time I'm there. His office is on, um, actually in the Empire State Building. That's where his office is. Super close. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting into there. I would love that. That would be so fun. Maybe if I bring my son, we can like (laughs) connect them. Definitely. He's my son's age. Like I could. Oh, totally. I'm so, it's so nice to meet you and to talk with you. And I love the way this conversation really just took on a life of its own. And that's what it's all about, you know? So, but I do. Oh, I totally, I'm really happy to have you here. And I want to, if people want to learn more about your brand, I mean, where can they find your shoes? Where can they find you? Are you on social media? I am on social. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I know we have, you know, Instagram for Feral Robin. I post a lot on LinkedIn, which which is really where I talk most about our mission statement and how, like how we run things. That actually does differentiate us, I think, in a lot of ways. Definitely. Uh, and we have a website, uh, which is www.feralrobin.com. F A R Y L R O B I N dot com. And anybody can reach out through any of these forms of, of media. And I have to say, it is much harder for me to keep up with LinkedIn because I get so many messages and I, it's harder for me to get through LinkedIn. But I promise you that I really try. I promise. Um, <laughs> so on LinkedIn, so, what you, how can they find you though? It's not under Farrell Robin. Farrell Morse. Right. M-O-R-S-E. Okay. I learned that when I was trying to find you. <laughs> you know, that's actually really funny because I didn't even realize that. And sometimes my text go out as Farrell Gilson. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. My name is Farrell Robin and my, my name is Farrell Morse. So and that's, that's why I can't change it. M-O-R-S-E. Is that how you spell it? Yep. As in Morse code. Morse code. Okay, great. Well, great. Well, I'm following you and I love what you're doing for all women and fashion and everything. It's just been such a pleasure getting to meet you. So any closing words? So grateful and honored. Say goodbye. No, I I love the conversation. Now we're connected. Now we're friends. Now we get to call each other and ask for whatever we want. Awesome. That's great. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and we will definitely be in touch and I will talk to you soon. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned a few things to help you with your own branding. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want your audience to fall in love with your brand, send me a private message and I would love to help you out as well. You can find me on social under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson. Also me. So thanks again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.